This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we're exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament and veering off from the book of Acts as we're doing that today, continuing our discussion on the book of Ephesians. We looked at Ephesians 2 last week, Ben, and, and uh, let's just go into Ephesians chapter 3 today. If, if you could give me like an overview or a, a 30,000 foot view of the book of Ephesians, what would you say like was the purpose of his overall letter to the people that lived in the city? Any, any thoughts on like what, what was he getting at when he was writing them this letter five years or so after he'd last been there? I think three, three things. Wait, I just popped this yeah. question on him, everybody, and yeah. he's got three answers. I've now, got that, three. This okay. is Ben Greenbaum <laughs> is he, right yeah, no. here, quintessential yeah, Greenbaum. Yeah. Now I've forgotten my answers, but uh, let's see here. Three things. Which is also quintessential Greenbaum. That's right. Distract him just a little bit. That's right. Uh now I'm going to go off on some crazy tangent about YouTube or something. You just never know where I'm headed. But three three things, I think, when I think of the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is, one, it's a reminder of who the they were outside of Christ, and so which we talked about in last week's podcast. And then there's the reminder of who they are in Christ, which you see beyond what we talked about in last week's podcast, though, you know, at the close of the podcast, we talked about God's grace uh, to us through Mm -hmm. faith in Christ. We're reconciled to God. All of that, we're reminded of who we are in Christ. And um, I know that this is uh, part of sermon content, but like in Ephesians 1, we see Paul uh, giving thanks to God for who these Ephesians are, for who they are, in Christ, and he talks uh, about them being the adopted sons and daughters of the living God uh, through Christ. And so, who we are outside of Christ, who we are in Christ as the adopted sons and daughters. And then finally, um, it's what our life in Christ looks like. And so, we've been created for the works that God has set before us. And as an aspect of that, one aspect of that is the unity we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and then the other part of that is the the moral ethic of our life um, and how, uh, as a part of that moral ethic um, that, that Paul speaks to in chapters uh, 4 and 5 and 6, uh, as a part of that moral ethic is displayed uh, to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's a, a mutual submission to Jesus and a mutual love for Jesus and then a mutual love for one another. And then there's the ethic, uh, obviously, that we live with, that Paul really uh, develops at the back half of chapter 4 into chapter 5 and 6. That is a better answer than I anticipated from that. I'm glad you didn't ask the question because I don't think I would have been that smart. It's, a, it's really, I mean, it kind of sounds like how we're all called to give testimony to how God's worked in our own lives. Like, what's my life? before I knew Christ and how did I become a Christian and, and, and that's God's grace. And then what, what's my life like now? I mean, what, what changes he made, which is really kind of what you're talking about, how this is laid out. That's my simpler, simpler it, version of, of the you know, one profound of the, things you said. One of the greatest exercises that unanticipated exercises that I've had in life was, you know, as a part of uh, the ordination process within the United Methodist church, um, which I've, 
yeah, that's a story for another time. But as part of that ordination process, which I, I went through years ago, um, part of the one of the questions they ask is, is there any fruit? You know, where's the evidence of the the fruit of the spirit uh, in in your life? You know, how is your relationship with Christ uh, bearing out? So so where's the fruit of that relationship? And I was forced to think through it and to consider my life before Christ and my life in Christ and how the Spirit had transformed me over time more fully into the image of Christ. And while, you know, I got a long, long way to go and this side of heaven um, probably will not reach the fullness of that. Um, it's a, It was amazing to think through, to think about how God had and it's only a work of the spirit. I mean, it wasn't a work of Ben Greenbaum, that's for sure. I did not self-will the, the the change and the transformation in my disposition and my character. It was something wrought by God and continues to be wrought by God. But to really consider how my life has been changed and transformed, um, for, you know, everything from character to the longing of my heart, uh, post relationship with Jesus and uh to take that moment and to reflect upon that um yeah it was kind of eye opening to me because i hadn't really been forced to think about it and then was forced to to consider it and to think even how you know the patience that god calls us to well i still wrestle with impatience to see how god had rooted out the i mean i had such a short fuse at one point in my life and to see how God rooted that out of me and has created and nurtured uh, a heart of, of greater patience, of greater peace. Um, and so, yeah, so I think about how that relationship with Jesus is called, you know, changes us, transforms us. And uh, for all of us to, to take a moment, consider our life before Christ and consider how God is moving in our life and has moved in our life, I think is, would be a benefit to each of us. Yeah, let me give you another example of that from my own personal experience. Uh, my wife, Lisa, and I have been married. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary, so that's, that's pretty cool. And we've, we've grown up with each other, sort of. I mean, not as kids, but we were, she was 21. I was barely 22 when we got married. And, and we've, been, we've been married for 40 years and, and watched each other grow as people and grow as followers of Jesus. One of the things that Lisa does a remarkable job with is mentoring people. She's currently mentoring a, a beautiful young woman who's part of our congregation and has done this throughout all of the, her adult life as I've known her. And one of the main ways that she does it is just simply through Scripture and studying the Bible together, learning what the Bible says. Lisa's Bible is chock full. It's one of those journal Bibles, and she's had more than one of them that she writes in the margin. I mean, it's like a third of the page is her own interaction with Scripture and things are underlined and highlighted and and written down and marked up. And she's done this more than once in the years that I've known her. And I, I was talking with her recently about this, how Scripture was always important to her. Christ was always important to her. But she was able to, she's able now to do that mentoring because of the richness of Scripture in her life. It's not like she's, she's doing it to check it off the list. I've got to read the Bible a little bit so I know more information. But 
it's weaved together. She now she knows the connecting points. She she says she sees the beauty of God in the book of Judges because she see how she's how God is working and moving in and through Scripture and and through all of time. So it's it's how God continues to grow us and move us and shape us. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter three, and there's a there's a word in here, and the word is mystery, that I want to explore a little bit together. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, for this reason, and so you have to back up to the end of chapter 2, and at the end of chapter 2, he's talking about to the Gentiles, and, and that they are equal to the Jews in being brought into the ways of God, into the dwelling place of God, the that all Jews and Gentiles who are followers of Christ are the building of God. It's all joined together to become the holy temple of the Lord. And so he goes on now at the beginning of chapter 3. It says, For this reason, we're all built together, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has been now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Again, This mystery, verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I I kind of made my way through that, but it's got some interesting phrases. The mystery, God's grace is the mystery made known to me by revelation, the mystery of Christ, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. So there's a lot of mystery going on. What's, what's the mystery? Ben? What's, is, that, what, is that a question? <laughs> yeah, what is this mystery stuff he's talking about here? Yeah, I think, think of a mystery like, you know, a whodunit or, you know, some kind of a thing you're trying to, trying to solve and try to figure out. And man, he's getting to some of that maybe. Yeah, so, Paul, Paul throws around the, the term mystery off and on, and sometimes used for, for different purposes. But here, I think he defines it in, fir- in verse 6, where he says, The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heir together, or heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. And so the togetherness that the Jews and the Gentiles now experience in Christ, that they are mutual heirs of God's promises through uh, Jesus Christ, I believe is what Paul is um, speaking to relative to the term mystery here. It doesn't make sense. Okay, so does it make sense that you and I born in the USA would be brothers in Christ, would be co-heirs with Jesus. Is, is that just as much of a mystery? 
yes, from the standpoint that um, the mystery being that God would extend his redemptive work beyond Israel, then yes, um, that we are bound together in Christ and, and co-heirs with Christ of God's eternal promises uh, would have been, at least from the context of this passage, an aspect of fulfillment, I guess, or a revelation of of that which was once a mystery, which is no longer a mystery. Yeah, because Paul, Paul says in verse 8, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, and he was a Jew, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. He's, he's driving, I mean, at this idea, he keeps talking in the book of Ephesians to the Gentiles, to the Gentile believers. And I, I, there was a large Jewish population, I know, in Ephesus, but it seems as if at least the, the Christian church in in Ephesus was largely Gentile, or at least he's writing to them a lot because he keeps mentioning it in his, in his letter here, but he's, he's writing to them saying, you have everything. And so I don't know if they were being told they were less than because they were Gentile Christians as opposed to Jewish Christians or what may be going on. But he says, the boundless riches of Christ are yours. Whatever, whatever anyone else has in Christ you have it too. And I, I do hear people from time to time think, I'm not really worthy of all these great things of God and all the blessings of God and the inheritance of, of God. I'm, I'm not worthy of any of that. And who am I? I'm not, I, I? My life's not been that great. At least as I read this, he says, it's, it's, his, it's his salvation. It's his grace. It's his goodness. It's his mercy. It's the riches of Christ, the boundless riches of Christ, and they are all yours, regardless of your background, when you embrace Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's a, that's a good message, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, too, in that— um, the knowledge that we can come to God uh, because of our relationship with Christ in any moment, in any time, uh, no matter what it is that we're wrestling with or, or even dealing with, that we have this this access. Uh, this, uh, as Paul as Paul describes, uh, that we can approach God with freedom and confidence. And I think one of the things that sometimes folks wrestle with is that we get this sense you know, followers of Christ, that followers of Christ wrestle with, we get this sense of unworthiness because of the things that we struggle through, because of the sin in our life, whatever it might be. And there's a tendency for some folks, rather than running to God, they run away from God because of the feelings of guilt and shame. And Paul, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things he draws on here in a, a few moments in, in chapter three is like the, the boundless love of God toward us that has been given to all Jew or Gentile who are in Christ, which then should uh, compel us, even in the presence of our own sin, to run to God. 
to experience the transforming work of the Spirit, to experience the embrace of His transforming love. And so, um, so yeah, uh, it's, I mean, we should, I mean, honestly, we should marvel uh, at that. I don't think we, we probably do enough. Maybe there's a sense that of entitlement relative, uh, for some folks, there's a sense of entitlement in relationship with the, with, to God. So they don't, maybe they take that love or that grace for granted. And then for others, there's a sense of like shame and a sense of unworth that oftentimes serves as a barrier to them freely coming to God. If yeah, that makes he, sense. He, he concluded, it makes tons of sense because he concluded chapter two, which we, we looked at last week, but he, and we didn't spend a lot of time on this, but it says in him, it is in Christ, the whole building that is us, the people of God, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I don't know if we think about that enough. Like God's presence is in me, and I am the temple in which he resides. So he goes on now in chapter 3, and we pick up the same kind of language in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, here it comes, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God. It, it just seems like Paul is, is wanting us to remember that we don't work our way out of the mess that we have created for ourselves, out of the sin in our own lives, but once we accept Christ, once we receive him, he dwells in us. And through his spirit in your inner being, it says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you can grasp the, the magnificence of the love of Christ. And you experience all the fullness of God. I mean, it, he's, not, he's not saying, hey, just you know, close your eyes, bow your head, say a prayer, and you're good. He's really pushing us at least the Ephesian people, but I say us, he's pushing us to say, think deeply on this concept that, that God dwells in you and he wants complete transformation in your life. He wants you to not just understand cognitively, but to embrace the truth that God's love, which is beyond measure, how wide and long and high and deep is beyond measure is his love in Christ and it surpasses every bit of knowledge we, we have in the world today and forever. It's for you. And it gives you his fullness. You know, and it, we've learned a lot. There, 
the world's learned a lot in the 2,000 years since the book of Ephesians was written down. And we have information dump. and We have a lot of knowledge today. Is it still true that, that God's love surpasses knowledge? Dumb question. But press into that a little bit, because I sometimes think in the world today, we think, well, we can think our way or learn our way or I may make a verb, knowledge our way out of any problem or any challenge or any difficulty that we have in life. And this seems to be saying something different. I think Paul's Paul's point uh, here, if I can draw on the Princess Bride for a moment, is that truly God's love is inconceivable. And I, I think we have... You know, I think it's oftentimes we put limitations upon God's love because we see things through our own lens. And reality is, is that we do not love as God loves. So much of our love, sadly, really, but so much of our love is conditioned. It's conditioned by the response of another. It's conditioned uh, by our relationship. Uh, oftentimes to another um, is conditioned by whether or not somebody shares the same worldview as us, whatever it might be, whatever those conditions are are around our our love toward another. And so a lot of times we project our heart onto God's. And, And Paul's point really is that we, God's love is truly, um, not to be cliche about it, but it's otherworldly. It's beyond, in some ways, our grasp. Even though he says that he hopes that that we come to grasp how wide, how you know, and long and high and deep, you know, the the point that he's making is that it's it, it's beyond our comprehension, um, because for those in Jesus Christ, God's love is inescapable, and so while we think that we might have ultimately compromised God's love toward us. His love, again, for those in Christ, does not exist on a banana peel because it's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon Jesus. And so God's heart toward us, God's love toward us, is conditioned by Christ himself. And so God the Father sees us through the lens of Jesus, sees us through the the lens of Christ's righteousness, sees us through the lens of his love for Jesus, and you know, as I I know that I'm redundant on this, but I will include it in every sermon until the day I die. That that in Christ God loves us as if we're Christ Himself, and He casts all of His affections upon us as if we were Jesus Himself, which is a hard. It's hard for us to to understand that, or sometimes it's just hard for us to entrust ourselves to it because it doesn't make any sense to us because we live in a meritorious society where everything ultimately is earned or merited, or at least our perception of things is earned and merited. And so we project that, that onto God. That maybe this, this concept you're talking, meritorious concept is the external things to us. And here he seems to be dwelling more deeply on the internal aspect of of God within us so that we can be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do 
immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That, that, that's a phrase. When you think about what's the, the greatest thing I can imagine God doing in my life? What's the greatest thing I can imagine God doing in the world? And to believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than that is an, is an incredible thought. And so this, this fullness of God and how wide and long and high and deep and, and all of it dwelling within us, it seems like Paul is saying, look there. Look at, look at who God is and what God has done in you, and then imagine what he can do through you. So again, this verse finishes up, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Good place to stop right there. It's a good word from Paul to the people of Ephesus and I think the people here in our world today as well. Well, thanks for listening today. Next week, we'll look at how God is calling us to make a difference in the world with the faith that he has given to us. And if you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may God bless.